Hi everyone, and welcome back to Dead to Rights, Season 2, Episode 54. We took a small January hibernation break, hope you missed us, and now we're back with our bookish friends to share what we can of the writer's craft and journey with you. Today we'll be speaking with Brenda Chapman, author of the Stone Child and Rouleau Mystery Series. Brenda grew up in Terrace Bay, Ontario. She earned a Bachelor of Arts majoring in English at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay. During her third year of study, she took a course in creative writing and began writing poetry and short stories. In Ottawa, Brenda met her husband, Ted, and they have two daughters, Lisa and Julia. Brenda stayed at home while the girls were young, teaching part-time and taking courses in the Honors English program at Carleton University. While at Carleton, the university awarded her a prize for Outstanding Part-Time Student of English. She currently has 14 crime novels published since her first release in 2004 that include the Jennifer Bannon Young Adult Mysteries, the Anna Sweet novellas for adult literacy, the Stone Child and Rouleau Police Procedural Series, and three standalone books. Her titles have been shortlisted for several major awards, including the 2006 Canadian Library Association Book of the Year Award for Children, Hiding in Hawks Creek, two Golden Oak Awards for Adult Literacy, The Second Wife and the Hard Fall, and two Crime Writers of Canada Arthur Ellis Awards for Novella and Crime Novel of the Year, respectively, My Sister's Keeper and Cold Morning. Brenda is currently a member of the Writers' Union of Canada, Crime Writers of Canada, Capital Crime Writers. She served two terms as president of Capital Crime Writers of Ottawa and two terms as past president. So I'm delighted today to bring you our interview with Canadian crime writer Brenda Chapman. Good morning, Brenda and listeners. Uh, welcome to Dead to Rights. How are you this morning? Great. Good morning, Donna. Thank you for having me. Good. We've got Brenda Chapman, the author of the Stone Child and Rouleau Mystery Series. Is that correct? Yes, Stone Child and Rouleau. Uh, say it again, Stone Child and Rouleau? And Rouleau, yes. Uh, okay. Jacques Rouleau is a staff sergeant and he's French-Canadian. And Kayla Stonechild is an officer and uh, she's Indigenous. Okay, okay, very interesting characters. And this is the fifth in the series, is that right? Yes, it's the fifth. There'll be seven in all. Okay. Started with uh, Cold Morning. Okay, okay. And the latest that we've got right now is called, if I'm not mistaken, Bleeding Darkness. And it looks just fantastic. Um, the the quick uh, blurb says Dave Ma- David McKenna lies on his deathbed, his children gathered to say goodbye amid the suspicion that years ago one of them got away with murder. Wow. Right. Uh, uh, David McKenna, who's dying, is uh, taking a secret to his deathbed uh, and that concerned uh, the murder of his uh, daughter's best friend 14 years earlier and 
Uh, it was never solved, but the suspicions were with uh, his son, who had been dating her, and they'd broken up. So, yeah. And then, um, in, this, uh, in, in the present, uh, uh, the son, whose name is Tristan, uh, is now married and his wife's pregnant, and she disappears on the Rideau Trail. Uh, the books are set in Kingston, Ontario. Okay, okay, so you've got some really good uh, Canadian settings there. I love your covers, too. They're really, really good. Yeah, that's uh, Laura Boyle. Um, it's a designer with Dundurn. She does a great job. Okay, so these are all, are they all through Dundurn, the entire series so yeah, far? Yeah, the series is with Dundurn. Okay. Tell me about the two protagonists. Well, Kayla Stonechild, uh, pretty interesting. She... Um, Grew up in foster homes. Uh, she's now in her early, late 20s, early 30s. Uh, and she was uh, working up in northern Ontario, which is where I'm from, northwestern Ontario. Came down for an assignment, kind of escaping a bad relationship, uh, and ended up on a team in Ottawa in cold morning with uh, Staff Sergeant Jacques Rouleau, who, uh, whom he becomes uh, a father figure to her over the course of the series. Uh, and I kind of set it up in book one that they moved to Kingston for the rest of the series because I just felt that Kayla needed a, uh, a smaller community uh, for policing, and Jacques Rouleau's father is down in Kingston, so they moved down there. But um, she's dogged, she's tenacious, very smart, but quite a loner and independent, doesn't really like working on a team. Okay. And, but, but she evolves over the course of the books. Um, I evolve all of the, the characters. And Jacques Rouleau, um, when the series begins, uh, he's still kind of pining after his ex-wife who's remarried, uh, and then he finds out that she's ill, and, um, you know, he has to come to terms with a lot of issues on that front. So, yeah, they're, uh, they're quite interesting to mine as characters. Okay, so they're kind of human. They sound kind of human. Yeah, very human. And, and in book two, which is called Butterfly Kills, set in Kingston, I give uh, Kayla a, a new partner whose name is Paul Gunderson. He's a big uh, Viking-looking man, and uh, he's got a, a wife who had left him for a while. I got a lot of bad relationships on the police force, but she left him for a while uh, to live with a doctor and has come back and wants him back, so he's kind of dealing with that. So. Yeah. yeah, you've got some fa- <laughs> you've got some fantastic titles in in this series: Turning Secrets, Shallow End, Butterfly Kills, Cold Morning, and Bleeding Darkness. I mean, these are all fantastic titles and covers. So I really want to encourage readers who who are listening right now to hop onto Amazon and just check out the titles wherever you like to buy. It's always easy to at least find things on Amazon and um, then you can buy wherever you want. I'm not promoting Amazon, but, um, you know, they're all laid out here so well and you can, you can read about them and um, your reviews are fantastic too. I'm quite impressed. Um, It's not that easy in the Canadian industry to get a strong, set of reviews on your titles and and yours are consistently strong right throughout the series um yeah, i've been very fortunate to get uh, reviewed by the globe and mail national post mm-hmm. ottawa citizen and yep and even your reader reviews are quite strong so i think it's really worthwhile for people to go and check these out did you start your writing career with crime fiction shorter stories. One was published in Canadian Living, and that was sort of my first contract. 
published, and that was not crime fiction. That was just a story of, about my daughters. Um, but I've always loved the genre, and I, I love reading it. So I think it, it kind of came naturally to write about what I love to read. Yes, yes. You've got some books that predated the series, I think. Um, I'm looking at one right now, In Winter's Grip. Um, was that a standalone? That was my first adult standalone. I started with um, Young Adult Mysteries, mm-hmm. four Running Scared, Hiding in Hawks Creek, uh, and a couple more uh, for the 10 to 12-year-old group. And then I thought I'd try my hand at an adult mystery, and that was In Winter's Grip, mm-hmm. uh, which I set in uh, northern Minnesota in the middle of winter. And it's, uh, uh, yeah, quite a quite a, a, a gripping read, I hope. It does look at it. It looks like it's got quite the mood uh, set. Um, after her mother's suicide, Maya Cleary turned her back on her family and Duved Cove, Minnesota, until a desperate phone call reveals that her father has been murdered and her brother Jonas is the prime suspect. Wow. Really, uh, really interesting, Brenda. Very, very well done. And I'm really glad that you did make that change because now we have the entire series to turn to, so that's great. Now, do you belong to any writers' groups or, or any um, any industry groups? Well, I do. I belong to... Uh, there's a group in Ottawa called Capital Crime Writers, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just the local crime writing community, and they mentor new writers, and, and so I belong to that. I'm also with Crime Writers of Canada. Of course, yeah. It's our national crime writing group. And mm-hmm. The Writers Union, I belong mm-hmm. to as well. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And how do you find these groups help you um, professionally? Well, um, uh, Crime Writers of Canada, definitely. They have the Arthur Ellis Awards and uh, different uh, events that go on that uh, are very supportive across Canada. Uh, there's a lot of different chapters for each region, and we just actually did an event that was organized by uh, Kathy Prairie, who's our regional representative mm-hmm. in the Ottawa area. She organized a, a mystery weekend at a chapters here in Ottawa. So oh, that sounds you know, like fun. Wow. Did you get a good turnout? Pardon me? Did you get a good turnout? We did, and uh, it's going on all weekend. So we have, um, I think there's 10 different Ottawa authors that are out there taking shifts. And meeting the public, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's quite quite good. That's really fantastic. I'm glad to hear you talk about that, because I'm not sure that writers really get how much of their time is going to be spent writing, and how much is going to be spent networking and doing industry reach-outs, you know? Yeah, I know. It's, I think it's an eye-opener once you, you get published, um, just how much is required of you to... Um, develop a presence and but you know the way I look at it is if people don't know about your book they're not going to buy it of course of course it's not like the movie you know if you build it they will not come (laughs) and as I as I say to all new writers they will not come in droves (laughs) they really do know how to stay away and it's up to you as a writer to entice them to learn your name and to get to know you and to, to reach out to them because they're not going to reach out to you. And it looks to me, Brenda, as though you've done a marvelous job at that. Your, your writer review, I mean, your reader reviews are, are really, it looks like you've got quite a loyal following. It, it's taken a while to develop, but I, I think it is coming. And uh, it is a lot of work to mm-hmm. get your name there. And uh, I think once, the best way, really, to get known is to have word of mouth. 
know, yes. have people talk to their friends and, and uh, talk to their book club and have you out, and it, it just really built that readership. Yes, yes. And just basically get your name entrenched into the industry. And you can't do that alone. We don't work in a garret. We don't work in a void. And um, you really do need the help of others in order to do it. That's so true. And, and I'm lucky here in Ottawa. We have a pretty strong crime writing community. Mary Jane Lucini. Oh, yes. All good friends of mine. I, I really, I really admire those ladies very much. They were, they were front runners with the ladies' killing circle, of course. That's right. Yeah. They're, they're all just terrific uh, people. In addition to being good writers and yeah, um, you know, good support. Mm-hmm. I know. I lo- I really love MJ. <laughs> Every time I, I see her, I laugh because she's just got such a great sense of humor, and uh, I really connect with her very well. And Barbara is so talented. Yeah, no, they all they all have uh, great qualities. Mary Jane and I actually went on a road trip to uh, Muncie, Indiana, to uh, murder in Muncie. Oh yeah. Number of years ago, and I don't think I've ever laughed so much. As I'll bet. <laughs> I'll bet she's small but mighty. You know? yeah. For anyone who doesn't know Mary Jane Maffini, please look her up. She writes fantastic uh, cozies, and she's got a great sense of humor. And if you don't know Barbara Fradkin, Barbara writes a really thought-provoking set of thrillers, and um, she's really worth your time to read as well. Now, this interview is about you. Sorry to stray away, Brenda. You've got a great community there in Ottawa. You really do. So kudos to you for being a, such a prominent part of it. Can you tell us how you got into the crime genre writing? Well, I, I studied English literature at Lakehead University. I'm from up near Thunder Bay. And I studied uh, creative writing in third year. Uh, and it was a course that I actually enjoyed more than any of the others. So I pro- that probably was a clue. Mm-hmm. that I should lean that way, but I, I didn't think I could become a writer, so I went to Teachers College at Queen's and then ended up here working in a private school for quite a number of years. Uh, but when my daughters were, um, you know, um, I stayed home with them when they were young, and then when it was time for them to go back, and I had to go back just to work full-time, I thought, you know, I really would like to make a change in my career and start the writing part, because I, I love working with kids, but I also liked writing and I got a job in the government as a writer-editor uh, at the Pest Management Regulatory Agency, which actually wasn't the kind of writing I thought I would do. So I, I, at that point, I started creative writing, and I wrote um, Running Scared for my daughters, who were 12 and 9 at the time. And, and that's uh, how I kind of got into the genre, because I thought, you know what, what they need is some good mysteries at that age. So yes, I, yes. I Absolutely. Uh, the My favorite thing to read when I was young was mysteries. And um, I've never, never gotten over the love of a good mystery. And the uh, Secret Seven, the famous one. I, I loved Enid Blyton's books. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, if you're, if you're out there and you're thinking of uh, coming into crime genre, write with what you love, really. I mean, I don't say write what you know, because as writers, we have to expand our knowledge and we have to expand our horizons. Writing what you know doesn't allow you a lot of leeway to do that. But write what you love, write from your passion, because it shows. Exactly. And hopefully, uh, you don't have any uh, first-hand knowledge of murder in people. Exactly. (laughs) 
Uh, hopefully you haven't really investigated thoroughly where to hide the bodies. <laughs> I like that. That's well put. Well, thank you very much, Brenda. Before I let you go, though, do you have any tips for new writers that you could share? Well, I, I think what you have said is write what you love. Uh, do a lot of reading. I think reading is uh, instrumental to becoming a good a good writer. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the industry, it's a, a tough industry, but, um, uh, you know, we've all had a lot of rejections, but you just keep going and, and just, you know, know that everyone's going through it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And perseverance is a big part of any art, really. And uh, when I get discouraged, I think about the painters. Um, My husband and I have a great love for Canadian artists, and um, most of whom never really made much in the way of money when they were alive. So, yes, yes. But their work, uh, it really speaks to me. It's something that... um, we can feel as Canadians when we look at it. We can feel it on some deep level. So whenever I feel like I'm a little blocked or a little... Your, um, your work is going to outlast you, you know? Yes. Going to yes. Long, after, long after you're gone. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And that is certainly true of the written word, you know? Thank you very much, Brenda. It's been a real pleasure having you on Dead to Rights. Our thanks go to Brenda Chapman for joining us today on the Dead to Rights pod. Our short story today was first featured in 13 by the Maydams of Mayhem, Carrick Publishing, 2013. It's a flash crime piece titled Not My Body by Melody Campbell. Gina, you have to have red flowers. Who ever heard of a Christmas wedding without red flowers? Nico waggled a finger and shook his bleached blonde head at me. Sweetie, I'd rather have pink. You can find pink poinsettias, right? He sat back and his brown eyes went wide. Pink, my favorite, and black. It's perfect. I can see it now. Black tablecloths with ice sculpture centerpieces. Pink poinsettias on those narrow platforms with streamers coming down from the ceiling. He was out for the count. I could sip my coffee in peace now. Not that there wasn't peace in this restaurant. It was Monday night and the place was only half full. Nico is my younger cousin, an interior designer newly minted. He is tall, thin, and runs a design and event planning business next to my jewelry store in Hess Village. He is rather enthusiastic about my upcoming wedding. Some might say, over the top. Nico isn't gay. He just likes the color pink, so I knew I could get him off the red Christmas kick with a little subterfuge. We were seated at La Paloma, my Uncle Vito's restro, in the slick part of Hamilton. Okay, don't laugh. The hammer has some nice places in amongst the steel mills. This upscale bistro was across the street from a major urban teaching hospital, so it's popular with doctors. Doesn't hurt that my uncle, Vince, donated a whole wing to St. Mary's and sits on the board. Vince is also my godfather. You may have heard of him. Let me leave it at that. What do you think about peacocks, Nico said. I fumbled my coffee cup. Peacocks? 
A crash from the kitchen punctuated that word. Someone screamed. Aunt Vera! Nico was out of his chair, dashing for the kitchen. I threw down my linen napkin and jogged right behind him. The kitchen staff stood like immovable stone statues. I had to push my way to the back where Vita was standing in front of the open door to the alley. Aunt Vera, Vito, Nico, and I peered down at a body. It didn't move because it had been recently plugged. Oh my God, Gina, I can't look. There's blood. Nico hid his face dramatically behind his bent elbow. Gina, do you know this guy? Aunt Vera poked at him with a wooden spoon. Who is it? Nico said, peeking around his arm. Oh, jeez, it's Wally the Wanker. Yeah, I knew him. Complete loser from high school. Pilfered the student lockers for cash and blackmail material. Even bigger creep in adult life. Not that Wally was ever an adult, except when it came to buying porn. Hence the nickname. Who took him out? Vera said, rifling through the poor guy's jeans for a wallet. She wasn't as squeamish as Nico. Gina, you come back with me. I need a calming influence. I followed Uncle Vito's stout body back into the restaurant. Everything is bueno, bueno, he assured the diners. We just dropped a pan back there. I walked back to my seat, smiling all the way. Big fake smile pasted on my face. Several diners beamed back at me, including a few clients. I nodded to Dr. Drake, who was just sitting down, and to his wife, who had been waiting for him. She grinned widely and flashed her right hand. Big, hulking sapphire, recently purchased. I nodded in fake appreciation. No, that's not right. I appreciated her business, truly. I just couldn't think beyond the butchered body at the back door. I reached my chair, sat down, and stared into my cold coffee. Who the hell had shot Wally the Wanker? And why leave him on Vito's doorstep? Don't get involved, my fickle conscience warned me. Your wedding is just two months off. Your fiancé Pete is a great guy who has no idea how involved you still are with the family. Keep it cool, Gina Gallo. I should be calling the cops, but the cops didn't like me much, especially Rick Spencer, another high school non-friend. I didn't think he'd appreciate a call from me. He might even get the impression I had something to do with the hit, so I decided not to interrupt his Monday night poker game. Maybe ten minutes passed before Nico came out from the back room. He sat down at our little table. All taken care of, he whispered. We can leave now. Phew, the relief. I couldn't wait to get out of there and put some distance between me and the recently departed. I picked up my purse and jacket from the back of the chair. Nico followed me out of the restaurant and over to my car in the back parking lot. When we were all buckled in, I said, Shall I drop you off at your place? Ah, uh, no, not yet, Gina. We have something else to do first. I pulled on to James. And you have to promise not to scream, he added. I gritted my teeth. What did you do, Nico? I put the body in your trunk. 
What? I slammed on the brakes and pulled over. A guy in a big SUV honked his horn three times and gave me the finger as he passed. It was Aunt Vera's idea. She helped. But don't worry, we've already notified Uncle Vince. We're to take your car to the chop shop. The guys will get it all clean, they promised. I slammed my palm on the steering wheel. Then I took three deep breaths. I didn't need to ask how Nico got the trunk of the car open without my keys. Mark that down to a misspent youth. I wasn't going to get involved. I wasn't going to get involved. And now I have a dead body in the trunk of my car. Nico, I could kill you. Don't be silly, he said. There's no more room in the trunk. Would you mind letting me off home first? It's on the way. When we got to his condo, I nearly pushed him out. It was almost nine. I drove to the place I was supposed to go. Don't ask. I can't tell you. It was a little place behind a little place in a not-so-well-lit area. The guys at the chop shop stared as I emerged from the car. They had the good sense not to catcall. Tony, my second cousin Tony, meaning I have more than one cousin Tony, nodded at me. Gina, how's things? He was wiping his greasy hands on an even greasier towel. Same old, same old. You? Good. The twins are growing. You should come round. Tony looks like a Tony, and his wife Maria is equally front-page Italian. He nodded to the trunk. The wanker dude? I gestured with both arms. Not my body. I had nothing to do with it. No probs. I'll call you when the car's ready. It was really dark and I wanted to get out of there, but I had no wheels and I didn't want to be seen at this place, so that meant no taxi. I called Pete's cell phone. Hey, can you come pick me up? Where's your car? Pete asked. What? Where is your car? Pete repeated precisely. Oh, I thought fast. It needed a little work, so I took it in. Does this have anything to do with the takeout on James? I shrieked a bit, or at least that's what Tony said it sounded like. What do you know about a murder on James? I hissed into the phone. I work for a newspaper, remember? I hear everything. Well, unhear it, and get the others to unhear it too. Geez, all I needed was reporters following me around and cops following them. I gave Pete the address. I'm still at work, he said. Pick you up in 20. Before I could put my cell back in my purse, it started singing Shut Up and Drive. Willie the wanker got whacked. It was Sammy the string bean, Vince's right hand. I hesitated. Two plugs from a 38. You mean you didn't do it? I wasn't going to say we. There is no we in my vocab when it comes to murder. No way, sugar. This is interesting. Gotta go talk to Vince. He hung up. Sure it was. Interesting, that is. I was still mulling it over when Pete drove up in his hot little convertible. I hopped in and didn't look back. Next morning, I called my cousin Paolo, the lawyer. He was my go-to guy for family gossip. What was Willie the Wanker into, I asked. Officially, parking lots. 
He cruised the lots looking for vehicles that should be removed if you get my drift. But unofficially, meaning without the family blessing, drugs, the upmarket kind, peddled it to the nosebleed crowd. I promised to take him out to lunch next week and sat back to think. Around noon, I phoned Sammy. How much do you want to know about what went down last night, I said. I want to know, but I don't want the cops to know, said Sammy. So, we keep it to ourselves. Gotcha. Meet me at La Paloma at five. Nico and I arrived at 4.30 before the doors opened. I had a few questions to ask the staff, specifically who had arrived in the restaurant before whom, the night before. Double-check my memory, so to speak. Sammy got there at five on the dot. He was alone. Vera and Vito came out to the public area, and we all took a seat around a table for six. All except me. I think better on my feet. You gonna tell us what happened, Gina? Cause I don't get it. Why dump a body here? It's a nice place. Vera wiped her hands on the apron spread across her ample lap. I turned to Sammy. We're keeping this between us, right? Not telling the cops unless we have to, because I can't prove it, you know. It's just conjecture. Sammy nodded. He's a wiry guy, about 50, with Woody Allen hair. He's also sharp as a shark's tooth. I adore him. You go, girl, he said. I smiled and leaned forward, putting both hands on the white tablecloth. Wally the wanker was making a little extra on the side, peddling oxycotton to the upper class. Nice work if you can get it. But then his source started to shut down, wanted out of it. So Wally resorted to his high school trade. Remember what that was, Nico? Nico shivered. Mmm, blackmail. All eyes swung to Nico. Some of a bitch. You could see Aunt Vera calculating what Nico had been in the frame for back then. Got it in one, I said, straightening up. I talk with my hands a bit so they need to be free. So, Wally started to blackmail the source because he wouldn't come through with the dope anymore, and the source didn't think that was nice, so he took out Wally with a thirty-eight. I flicked my arm to the side. Doesn't matter where. Then he dumped the body on the back steps of La Paloma, that noted family hangout when no one was looking. I don't get it, said Vera. The killer hoped the takeout would be put down to us, Sammy said. His brown eyes were piercing. I nodded. Well, that won't happen. We've taken care of it. No body, no crime. Nothing to report. Sammy sat back and folded his spindly arms. I'll spread a rumor that Wally left the hammer for his help. So all that remains is you naming the killer, sugar. This was the fun part. I grinned and pointed to the ring on my left hand. You know me, I noticed jewelry. Can't help it. And that sapphire ring was niggling at me. I paused for effect. Doctors make a lot of money, but they don't make that much. Last night in this restaurant, Mrs. Drake was wearing the ring she bought from my store last month. You want to talk money? That rock makes my 20 grand engagement ring look like a dollar store bauble. Then I remembered she entered the restaurant alone last night. Dr. Drake came in about five minutes later. That's because he was dumping the body out back. Then he drove around the front, parked, and pretended to just get here. But, started Vera, 
What better way to score illicit oxy than from a bona fide doctor, Sammy cursed. Ah, Wally, you stupid bastard. He was a blackmailer, Sammy. Nico had his chin up and his arms crossed. I know Wally's dead now, but I can't feel sorry for him, even if he was employed by the family. That's why you're not going to say a word about it, and neither are we, I said, pulling out a chair. No body, no crime. You see a body around here? Sammy waved both of his arms. Sometime later, when we'd had our fill of veal marsala and a real tasty amarone, Nico said, Peacocks, Gina, for the wedding. What do you think? I looked at Uncle Vito and winked. Fine with me. Do you have a good recipe? Nico gasped. You wouldn't. I meant Aunt Vera got that one. The end. I want to send a heartfelt thank you and love to crime writer Melody Campbell. Are you a published author? Would you like to be featured on our weekly Dead to Rights podcast? We're now scheduling slots for 2019. Please contact me at carrickpublishing at rogers.com and say Dead to Rights interview in the subject line. We'll love hearing from you. Likewise, if you have any questions about books, the book business, or the writing craft, for me or for any of our featured authors, don't hesitate to contact me at the same address, carrickpublishing at rogers.com. You can find us and contact us anytime on Facebook under Dead to Rights or under our Carrick Publishing Facebook page. You can also look for our personal pages, Donna Carrick and Alex Carrick. On Twitter, we're listed as at Dead to Rights Pod, at Carrick Pub, at Donna underscore Carrick, and at Alex underscore Carrick. All music featured on Dead to Rights, including our theme song, Eyes of Gold, is original material composed and performed by Ted Carrick. Look for his work on YouTube at Ted Carrick Music. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Dusty road, man alone. His vital signs go on hold. And I don't know what you've been told. But the years have turned my eyes gold. And I told you what you told me. Never be in the same boat for free, yet it rides. Let it rot.